if you take a look at like a basketball team, like you don't need two centers on the court. Everyone has you know different skill sets. We're looking for someone who's going to have best strengths in the areas that we need them. Welcome to Building Teams with Matt Nunn. As a coach and as a leader of 150 people, Matt loves to build and lead strong teams. From CEOs to professional athletes, join him as he has honest, candid conversations about how to cultivate strong teams. Proudly presented by Nun Media, Australia's largest media buying agency. Hello, and thanks for joining me. I'm Matt Nunn. On today's episode of Building Teams, I'll be speaking with somebody I consider a friend as well as a colleague, Nick Lavage. Nick is the founder and CEO of The Alley Group, which is a multi-award winning digital marketing agency. Alley was founded on the belief that when you spend money on marketing, you need to make money on marketing. And that philosophy has driven unparalleled results for their clients. Clients such as Netgear, U-Foods, Yeti, and Tinder, just to name a few. We at Nun Media had the pleasure of meeting Nick and his company last year. We were so impressed that we began Talks to Buy. It's turned out to be a fantastic business and we're so impressed with Nick. The team really regards him as one of the world's top e-commerce gurus. Nick and his team have won numerous honours since we acquired the company, including Digital Agency of the Year in Australia. When Nick's not busy being an entrepreneur, you'll find him travelling and for him, that's normally equally as risky. His Instagram page tells me recently he went diving with bull sharks in Fiji. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Love the beer. I'd like to kick off just by hearing a little bit about you. Where did you start your education and what's your experience in the digital workforce? So, I mean, I grew up in Arizona, but I went to university in Los Angeles at uh, University of Southern California. I did a double major there, entrepreneurship and, and finance kind of made me really believe that I wanted to start my own business. I started my first business at a university. We did a voice-controlled electronic company called Moshi. But because we couldn't sell, we had no one that would stock our product. We had to resort to selling things online. And so that's kind of really my first focus came into e-commerce and, and building that up. Over the first year, we built it over to 5 million USD in sales. Sold that out to my business partner. And he later sold to Samsung, which is pretty cool. And then I went and oversaw the e-commerce division for Ray-Ban and Oakley and a bunch of different brands with another Luxottica group. And it was a really kind of cool opportunity to be able to work and build a really large team. Our in-house team there was over 100 people. Got to work with agencies every market. So I probably had about 20 or 30 different agencies on our roster during that time and saw a lot of the, the great things that they did, but a lot of the inefficiencies. I came to Australia. It was a good opportunity for me at that point to really do my own thing. And so I was kind of thinking about what that should be and been thinking about, you know, my experience building in-house teams, but also agencies. And at the time, one of my contacts came to me and asked me if I wanted to go work for them. And they just had the licensing to sell the Kardashian collections, which was the Kardashians clothing line, uh, which was a pretty crazy experience working with them. But I didn't really actually want to go work for them. And I said, well, you know, why don't I kind of bring you on as my first client? And I really wanted to build an agency the way that I wanted as a director of marketing or CMO before. And I really saw that opportunity that there's a lot of great things about in-house, a lot of downfalls. You know, how could we build an agency that was part in-house, but also part agency and be able to combine both the best of both worlds? That was about 2014. So about eight years ago, you know, we're fastly approaching 50 staff, run campaigns over 20 countries. You know, by the end of this calendar year, we'll probably have about 75 million in media managed. So yeah, I'm really excited for the future. Yeah, huge. And did you play any sports? 
in the US going through high school or what experience did you have with sport and teams? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think growing up, I played pretty much every sport. And as I got older, it was pretty much cut down to football and golf and lacrosse and then pretty much just football. Kind of funny story about the football. I I grew up playing, and when I say football, I need to probably classify it, American gridiron as they call it here. (laughs) But I I played from the, the time I was maybe eight years old. It was kind of everything for me. I grew up a big Chicago Bears fan and, and loved it. When I tried out for my year nine team, I got cut from the tryouts. And I actually went to the coach the day after I got cut. And I like just dignity aside, I begged him to be on the team. There might have been a few tears there. I think out of pity, he just let me be on the team and put me on the practice squad. Uh, <laughs> but eventually through kind of getting the hard work, and I've been playing it for a long time, and I kind of felt like I was un- unfairly cut or overlooked. I actually worked my way up. And by the next year, when we went into JV, I was the, the defensive captain, led the team in sack tackles. And yeah, it was just a good kind of lesson at a very early age when I was like 12 or 13 that nothing can stand in the way of what you want, even if you need to throw your ego out the door. I think a lot of times ego gets in the way of doing what we want to do. And then um, just persistence, like you can't fail if you don't quit. So I just, you know, I, I, something I wanted and I wasn't going to stop and do it, even if it meant I had to check my ego out the door. So you're a real competitor. I hate losing more than I like winning. Over the years, I've had to actually, especially as a leader, I think it's really important. Like you, you being competitive is good, but there's a lot of downsides to it as well. Now I, I try to kind of refocus my energy from my competitive streak and then how I can make everyone around me win. So obviously in those discussions, you've had a lot of success in the digital marketing space. Where did this passion develop from? And would you recommend it as a career for those sort of, you know, coming out of university or coming out of high school? I come from a long line of marketers. So I grew up in that kind of agency family in that environment. And I honestly never wanted to be any part of it. But kind of looking back, I don't think I ever really had a chance of escaping it. And because I've always been really fascinated by it. I love the depth of it and kind of going into what I recommended. Absolutely. I think there's a part of marketing for anyone. Digital marketing is its own little space. But even within there, there's a lot of different things within it. There's really kind of any skill set or any strength you have, there's a facet of marketing for that. So you can be really creative and work in that. You can look at really behavioral or psychology and messaging. You can look at that. You can also look at, you know, media planning or buying, or you can be optimizing if you're really good with numbers. You know, I think there's something for everyone. Can you tell me how many people you manage and where are your colleagues based? Yep. So we're currently about 40 staff. We have about 10 job roles open now. Where everyone's based, and this is something I feel really strongly about, and I think COVID made it more acceptable, is that we've always had what we call a decentralized talent model. And so what we mean by that is that we find the best talent in the world, no matter where they're at, as long as it's a relatively similar time zone to where our clients are at. I think it's really important that that we try to, as a business, try to not only find the best staff, but try to fit into our staff's lifestyle and give them as much flexibility as possible. One of the topical issues at the moment in the workforce has been how you build culture when you're not in direct contact uh, face-to-face in the office with your staff. How have you dealt with that? And have you got any tips or strategies that you've used that have worked well? It's definitely the major topic that we have right now. Something that we do a lot is this constant touch points. So, you know, we believe that something every week needs to be done to kind of promote culture. And so we'll do a lot of virtual events, even if they're super small, like virtual trivia, TikTok challenges or things like that. I mean, our goal is just to really keep people connected when you have to work somewhat remote. 
But also I think something that gets overlooked a lot is just kind of redefining the way we view culture and for the culture we have at Alley is that we want people to obviously, you know, love working and love what they're doing at Alley, but we also want people to love everything that are doing outside of Alley and want them to have a life outside of Alley. So we promote a culture of having a healthy work-life balance. So when we think of kind of culture, typically, I think most executives will look at it and be like, how can we promote positive energies within our walls as a business? But I just don't think it's that dimensional. The way that we like to think about it is how can we promote that positive energy and allow people to live their best life, both in and out of the office. We'll give gift card dinners so that they can take their family out to a nice restaurant in their neighborhood. And we'll do the research to find out what that restaurant is. We're really about kind of making sure that the employee is living life on their terms. Some great tips. So you were diagnosed with a melanoma in your 20s. How do you think that experience shaped who you are today? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely probably one of the most impactful things, both for better or for worse in my life. You know, it did cause a lot of trauma that I had to get over. But I think that the positive coming from that is it really forced myself to take my mental health seriously from a very young age. And I invested a lot of time, whether it be in reading and researching to even seeing, you know, professional help and things like that in order to really develop systems and development tools that have really helped me take ownership over my mental health. And then now I get to share that with my team, which is really, really cool. But more than anything, it built this sense of appreciation. I meditate every day. And when I finish my meditation every day, uh, part of what I think about is how I'm going to run through my day and I'm going to suck every bit of positive energy and every bit of life out of every moment. The purpose of life is just to experience the present moment. And today, you know, if you kind of think about it, like whether you live 20 years or 100 years, it's all kind of subjective. Like regardless, it's not that much time in the scheme of the world. So you really just need to make the best use out of what is today. And so that I think, you know, the experience of melanoma and having near-death experiences, I think, make you forever grateful for that experience. Yeah, yeah, some great insight. I've heard you say recruitment is a 24-hour job. What's your best advice when it comes to hiring great staff? I think the thing that gets overlooked the most is not knowing what you're hiring for. And this sounds obvious, but I think most of the time we kind of skim over it. We put out a JD, but we're not looking at what are the two, three, four things that I need this person to be the best in the world at. And so what we've done in Alley is we, for every position, we built scorecards based off both hard skills and soft skills. And the way that we try to teach our team to interview is that we're looking for someone who's going to have the best strengths in the areas that we need them. And everyone's going to have weaknesses, but as long as they have those strengths, we're good. And especially we take a look at if those weaknesses fit into our team well. If you take a look at like a basketball team, like you don't need two centers on the court. You need everyone has you know different skill sets. You need a point guard and a shooting guard and a power forward. And everyone has different skill sets and strengths and weaknesses. So we tend to look at and what are the right things for this person in this role? Do they match? And can this person uh, fit into the team, not only from a culture perspective, but offer some of the skill set? If they have a weakness, does someone else on the team have that as a strength? And can they cross-pollinate and treat each other? We're in the midst of the great resignation. What's your secret on the flip side of retaining great staff at talent? Uh, well, I think we all know just, I think there's been tons of studies as, as well, but you know, pay is not enough. You know, obviously the compensation always needs to be there, but that doesn't actually really help retention. I think the two things that we've narrowed down to first and foremost, unwavering support, like the team needs to know that we have their back no matter what. And at Alley, we have a staff over clients mentality. 
And I know that might sound harsh to any clients listening, but what we found is when we take that approach, our staff always 100% of the time take care of our clients. I think the other thing that we've been talking about a lot is growth and development. You know, at Alley, one of our core values is stay hungry. And so we try to attract people that want to be better today than they were yesterday and better tomorrow than they were today. And so because of that, we have people that are really growth focused. And so what we do is we take a look at both hard skills and soft skills in each individual role. Like how do they develop as a person? How they, you know, maybe they need to learn how to be a more empathetic leader. Maybe they need to be better at, you know, active listening. All these things are really important, not just in the office, but just as a human being. So we try to take a full look at people and help them grow. Just from an industry standpoint, where do you see the sales trend in the next five years from bricks and mortar to e-commerce? Just in general, I think you know e-commerce sales are obviously going to continue to grow. But I don't think brick and mortar is going to die. I think it will serve a different purpose for most brands. I think really having... You're seeing a lot with especially the luxury brands now. They're using it as a brand experience and how people can you know feel and hold the product. And they have an opportunity to buy, but it's actually being able to really kind of strengthen that brand loyalty. You know, when it comes to retail, customer retention is really everything. And so I think brick and mortar is going to really serve a massive purpose when it comes into customer retention because it's going to give customers an experience they can't get online. I do think for most parts, most of the time, especially as, you know, shipping becomes faster and faster. For example, you know, for our US clients, a lot of them can even ship with have it to your door within three hours now. I think convenience is going to be really kind of the focus of online and that experience is going to be a focus of offline. And I really do think you need both to profitably grow a retail brand, both convenience and experience. I know you've had plenty of success, but I'm interested to hear how you've handled some failures. We've had unsuccessful campaigns in the past. We've had clients that have cost the agency money. But I always kind of like to look at it from a perspective where I've always enjoyed the quote, there is no failing, just learning. And you know, one example that kind of comes to mind for me was a couple of years ago, we did have churn in one of our departments was staff churn. And looking back at that time, I think we probably put growth in front of being great leaders. And we owned it. I mean, we, we addressed the whole company about it. Uh, we completely owned the mistake. We built out a strategy to improve upon it. We communicated it to the entire business and we got everyone sign off on it. Then we went and implemented it. And as a result, I feel like every month our team gets better and better. And our staff is becoming, you know, our staff retention has gone up significantly. Our team's getting more talented and they're also being happier in their roles, at least what we're seeing from the surveys we're getting. Being an entrepreneur is not for the faint hearted. What worries you and what keeps you up at night? You know, I would probably say historically losing a key staff or losing a key client is what kept me up at night. But I think that every challenge is really just an opportunity to improve. So, you know, I can't think of one challenge or one perceived loss that I had that didn't result in me being a better person or the company being in a better position. So knowing that, I've kind of rewired my brain to when I see a challenge, I actually now get really excited because I know there's a bigger opportunity behind it. And everything that I now comes across that might appear bad really quickly appears good to me. So ever since I kind of made that mindset change and built that into my psyche, I sleep pretty well through the night. What's something you've implemented into your life that's had the biggest impact on your success? I meditate every day. I'd probably say that is my biggest impact. 
And I made a pact with my friends to do it every day for 30 days. And when I did it every day for 30 days, it completely rewired my brain the way I could see. And you know, for control freaks like me, if, if anyone out there is a control freak, I think meditation is the coolest thing ever because you get to take complete control of your emotions. And the ironic thing is when you completely control your emotions, you let go of control of anything in your external environment. So you don't need to control people or outcomes because it doesn't matter. Like Because no matter what happens, you can make the choice of how you want to feel and uh, a very easy tool and very worth the 15 minutes every day. And have you been able to pass that on to any staff or team members? Yeah. I mean, especially with my direct reports is something that we talk about a lot. We talk about energy a lot. I think as in a management team, it's so important that your energy is infectious to the team, to the clients, to anyone else. So we got to make sure when we come in the office that we have control of our emotions and we're, we're consciously spreading the energy that we want to spread. I think meditation is a great tool for that. When it comes to being a leader, what do you think your staff would say are your biggest strengths? You know, I think like one of my key roles as a CEO and as a leader is to understand where the market's going and, and pivoting the business and being able to be able to get alignment from the business on it, hire the right people, and then empower those people to deliver on it. I would hope my team would say that I care about them so incredibly much. Because my purpose as a founder, it's really not to build the greatest business in the world, but it's to make sure that we have the biggest impact on people. Have you ever uncovered a blind spot that you've had to work on as a leader? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> so something I do is I keep what I call a lesson log on my phone. So every day I look back at the day and I look at how I could have done better both professionally or even personally. And if there's an area where I deviated from my expectations of myself or how I wanted to act, I write that down. Or if there was a situation where I learned something new that was kind of cool or interesting, I also write that down. I kind of strive to always every day improve and make sure that I'm always constantly looking back at myself critically, but not judging myself. Like I don't want it to be something like, oh, you're, you're, you're a bad boss today. I want to be like, <laughs> how can I be better? With Ellie stocks sort of rising, what are the future plans? Yeah, I mean, super exciting as we close out the financial year in Australia. We've had a great, great growth year, but I think next year is going to be even, even bigger. And, you know, part of that is we're really kind of hitting our stride. And a lot of it's, you know, thanks to none of being able to execute on our vision. And there's a few parts of our vision that I think are going to come into play next year. The first and foremost is looking at international expansion. So, you know, we've had a team in the US for about three or four years. And we've had clients for about maybe five or six years there. But our U.S. is growing incredibly fast and it's actually now bigger than our Australian operations. So U.S. is going to be a major focus for us for next year. Just the opportunity is massive just on the sheer population size alone. And I think that Ali's offering really fits that very, very well. The other thing that we're really focused on is making sure that we are the best when it comes to customer acquisition and retention. And being able to have as much skill sets in that ecosystem as possible. So, you know, obviously, Ali does performance marketing. We also have cohort, which is our performance creative, but we're also looking at, you know, acquisitions for design and development and conversion rate optimization and ensuring that for every dollar that our clients give us to reinvest, that we are able to maximize that through the whole customer journey, whether that be 
someone converting on a site, converting on an Instagram ad, or us tying it back through with attribution. So it's kind of exciting as we kind of build out our service offering to be kind of a full service for everything that we do for our clients. And as we grow uh, internationally, especially in the US. Very exciting. Okay, Nick, it's time now for our buzzer beaters. So you've got five rapid questions to wrap the interview up with short, quick answers. Trump or Biden? The lesser of two evils, but I'd say Biden. Which piece of software or tech tool has impacted your productivity most? I would say Slack. What's the worst bit of advice you've ever been given? Like you can't be successful unless you sacrifice like everything. What time does your alarm clock go off in the morning? 5 a.m., but my son wakes up at like 4.30, so... So he's the alarm clock. He's the alarm clock right now, unfortunately. If you could pick the brains of any person for an hour, who would it be? Warren Buffett. Well, that's all we have time for now. So thanks so much, Nick, for joining us on the podcast. Anytime, anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Building Teams podcast. For more information about Matt and Nun Media, visit nunmedia.com.au. Follow the show for future episodes and leaving a review or rating helps others find the podcast. 